This is Business Breakdowns. Business Breakdowns is a series of conversations with investors and operators diving deep into a single business. For each business, we explore its history, its business model, its competitive advantages, and what makes it tick. We believe every business has lessons and secrets that investors and operators can learn from, and we are here to bring them to you. To find more episodes of Breakdowns, check out joincolossus.com. All opinions expressed by hosts and podcast guests are solely their own opinions. Hosts and podcast guests may maintain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. This is Matt Russell, and today we're breaking down Europe's leading low-cost gym operator, BasicFit. Netherlands-based BasicFit is a story of rapid expansion. Today, they operate over 1,000 clubs across five countries and have 2 million combined members in their system. To break down the business, I'm joined by Jonathan Abenheim from Arlen House Capital, who also happens to be an investor in Basic Fit. We cover a history of fitness clubs dating back to the late 70s and early 80s, how low-cost gym models have emerged as winners and created a larger addressable market, and we touch on how Basic Fit is putting its own spin on a successful playbook from the U.S. Please enjoy this breakdown of Basic Fit. All right, John, thanks for joining us on Business Breakdowns. Thank you for having me. So I'm U.S.-based, along with most of our listeners, and I thought a good place to start here, in addition to giving us an overview of the Basic Fit business, would to also be to paint us a picture of what it's like to walk into a Basic Fit gym, just to kick things off. So for U.S. listeners, I'd think Basic Fit is very similar to Planet Fitness, where it is providing a low-cost gym experience to consumers. The gym itself is a stripped down mid-market gym. If you think of the mid-market gym, you essentially had wet facilities, you had cardio and weight equipment, you had a sauna. Basic Fit has stripped down all wet facilities and all expensive add-ons that are usually not used by members. If you walk into a Basic Fit gym, all you see is essentially the showers, a social corner, and the weight and cardio equipment. And what does their footprint look like today in terms of number of clubs, number of members, and where they operate? So Basic Fit is the leading budget fitness chain in Europe. They have about 2.2 million members across a network of 1,000 clubs in the Netherlands, Belgium, Spain, and France. The business today does about 800 million euro of revenue and is by far the largest operator on the entire continent. So to put into context, they're two times larger than the number two and building 15 times more locations per year. So Basic Fit is very large. And to give you some other info, they're the largest purchaser of Samsung TVs in Europe. So that's some good context for the sheer scale and size of Basic Fit. And it might be good to touch on the differences between the US market and the European market. How different does penetration look in Europe versus the US? What is the operating model and how does that differ in terms of US gyms versus European gyms? I think before diving into the specifics of the industry today and how it looks like versus the US, it'd be good to give you a history of fitness in the US specifically and how that's sort of evolved over the last 30 years and where Europe's at versus US. Major gym chains were born in the U.S. during the 1980s. You had 
Gold's Gym, 24-Hour Fitness, LA Fitness, Total Fitness. And they essentially targeted weightlifting and aerobic enthusiasts. And throughout the 1980s, you also had this proliferation of Hollywood fitness personalities that really amplified these niches. So you had Arnold Schwarzenegger defining the weightlifting category and maybe Jane Fonda popularizing aerobics. And this really marked the birth of the mid-market gym. So you essentially had all these gyms pop out across the nation and people that were interested in doing weightlifting and, and aerobics joined these gyms. And over time, as the industry evolved, these gyms wanted to differentiate themselves and they built amenities that would act as a differentiator. And they got very bloated and the cost structures were very high. And the average cost to go in the gym was $50, $60, $70 a month. So it essentially only targeted people that could afford it. And it evolved into a premium offering. So not everyone was able to go to the gym. Until the early 2000s, you had a bifurcation of the fitness industry where you had premium offerings like Equinox or Orange Theory for classes. And you also had low-cost offerings, which Planet Fitness pioneered. So these were gyms that stripped down the mid-market gym to its bones by having only cardio and weight equipment and return the cost savings to consumers via lower prices. And this really grew the market because you tapped into demand that was not there previously by offering a gym membership that was low cost, that was accessible to most individuals. And the average person only spends $150 a year on gym and sport equipment. So being able to offer a $10 or $15 a month membership grew the addressable market and was Tamman locking. Planet Fitness eventually became the biggest winner of this gym bifurcation. If you look at the US, penetration, especially over the last 10 years, has risen very quickly as a function of Planet Fitness gym rollout. So as Planet Fitness entered a new geography, their gym build-out actually grew the market. So in the US over the last two decades, Planet Fitness has gone from 0% market share to 25% market share. Gym penetration in the US today is much higher than the average country. So I think Europe is probably 10 years behind the US where the bifurcation is just happening and you have low-cost gym providers like Basic Fit that are entering and actually growing penetration. So if you look at the differences in penetration between the US and Europe, about one in 10 people in Europe go to the gym and the US is about one in five people. What do you think drives that difference in terms of penetration and Europe being behind the curve relative to the US? It's not something that I think of happening in most industries and obviously Europe having its storied history. What do you think has driven that delay in terms of bringing some of these similar concepts over to Europe? I think the simple answer is supply of low-cost gyms. So if you look at the US, Planet Fitness essentially rethought fitness from first principles. They realized that people saw fitness as a chore. So they decided to make it fun by having pizza nights on Thursdays. And they also realized that people didn't want to spend $40 
a month or $50 a month on an expensive chore. So they were able to take the fitness concept to its bare bones by offering just weight and cardio equipment. If you look at the markets where plant fitness has entered, what you realize is that they actually grow the market significantly. And most of the growth in the market accrues to them. So to give you some statistics, if you look at penetration in the US in 2010, you had 50.2 million gym members across the nation. Planet Fitness at the time had about 2.3 million members. By 2019, the US had 64.2 million members and Planet Fitness had 14 million members. So they essentially captured 86% of the growth in the market. If you zoom into the markets where Planet Fitness originally entered 10, 15 years ago, you realize that penetration is very, very high. So while the US has only 21% fitness penetration, Planet's legacy markets have upwards of 30% penetration. So I think in Europe, it's just lack of supply of low-cost gyms. You realize that where basic fit had entered originally, so think Amsterdam or certain cities in France, penetration is actually very high. So I think it's entirely correlated with supply of low-cost gyms. That makes a lot of sense. The market share dynamics are incredible at Planet Fitness. Some of those numbers that you just shared are remarkable. And it makes me curious as to where Basic Fit was born out of. Was this an idea that came about as a direct result of what was happening at Planet Fitness? Maybe you can share some of the story behind Basic Fit and its origins. So the story is really fascinating. Rene Moose was the original founder of Basic Fit. His story goes back to the 80s when he was a professional tennis player. That eventually didn't work out for him. So he came back to the Netherlands and he started a tennis facility. His thought process was, if I can't play tennis competitively, maybe I could teach it and earn a few bucks. So he started this tennis camp and to earn extra income, he rented out some space to a fitness instructor who would do private lessons and group lessons. And after about a year, he realized that the fitness instructor had upgraded his car from some cheap Toyota or Honda to a BMW. And he realized that he was making no money, so he was in the wrong business. And he eventually converted his tennis facility into a gym facility. He booted the fitness instructor from his location and that was the birth of Hell City, which was the original gym concept that Rene started. Hell City eventually scaled to about 250 locations. And in the early, late 2000s, Rene realized that the US was evolving and that mid market gyms were being put out of business. So, out of fear that he would eventually fail, he realized that he had to pivot. So he traveled to the U.S. and took notes on how Planet was expanding and what they were able to offer the consumers. And he created this basic fit model, which was essentially to offer low prices to consumers and offer convenience, which I think is the differentiating factor between Planet and basic fit. And also, I think it's important to know that 
Planet Fitness is a franchise model. And Renee essentially said that he wanted to control the fitness experience and be innovative. And he evolved the business as a owned and operated model. Yeah, I think the franchise model is definitely something I want to touch on a bit. And it might just be a good opportunity to go through the economics of a gym, what it costs to start a new gym, whether that's greenfield or retrofitting, what that would look like for me trying to do it as an individual operator versus someone like Basic Fit doing it. So maybe you could just walk us through some of those numbers in terms of CapEx outlay when they get to a break-even point in terms of members and any other relevant KPIs and metrics that would go into operating a gym. There's a big difference between if I, John LLC or Matt LLC wanted to open a gym versus Basic Fit. Basic Fit is by far the scaled player in this business, and there are enormous economies of scale. So we could walk through the economies of gym openings for Basic Fit. They're very simple. There's about 1.2 million euros in upfront CapEx, which includes the fitness equipment, plus any structural building reinforcement, the showers, AC, wiring, Samsung TVs. The clubs then break even at about 1,600 members, and that's a level they reach within five months. And then clubs mature at about 3,300 members within 24 months, at which point they will generate 420,000 euros of EBITDA. It's important to mention also that out of the 3,300 members that Basic Fit scales to, about half of those are actually new gym joiners. So if you look at Matt's gym, if Matt wanted to open a gym, if you compare this on an apples-to-apples basis with the same structural reinforcement, the same showers, the same gym equipment, which is Techno Gym and Matrix, which is very high quality, Matt would be paying about 1.8 million euros of CapEx. Also, it's important to mention that Basic Fit runs their locations with about two and a half full-time employees, which costs them about 130,000 euros per year in personnel costs. Rent is also 150,000 euros a year. And then you have about 150,000 in club operating costs like software and cleaning. Basic Fit is able to leverage its scale economies there too. So the average independent gym will run their locations with about six full-time employees. So personnel costs are much higher. And those gyms are only able to offer a membership at 39 euros a month. So Basic Fit basically cuts down that membership to 20 euros a month and earns a 50% margin. So the economies for Basic Fit on new gym openings are much more attractive And it's a much more attractive value proposition to the consumer because you get a better gym experience with higher quality equipment at a lower price. Yeah, it certainly seems like based on the numbers that you mentioned, 50% of new members in any given gym are essentially being created or it's a new market being created, new TAM. And I'm curious, when I think of Planet Fitness in the U.S., I do not think about bodybuilders. I think more about those that are probably only going to make it to the gym a couple times a month, if that. Is it a similar customer base for basic fit? And do you have a sense of 
once they bring these new gyms into a market, you typically have a big sign-up rate. What does the churn look like for some of their more established gyms as time goes on and they've settled into the market for a longer period of time? As far as the demographics, it's very similar to the average person going to gym is under 30 years old at Basic Fit. It's younger, but the average person going to gym at Basic Fit joins Basic Fit because they want to have the option to work out, which is very similar to Planet Fitness. So if you look at the breakdown of members, I'd say 20 to 30% of Basic Fit members are what I call sleepers. They're members that have joined Basic Fit because just like Netflix, if they're in the mood to watch a movie, that is available to them. So about 20 to 30% are members that come once a month. The rest are members that really benefit from having a low-cost gym in their town, which is close to their home or close to their office. And those members tend to stay very, very long also. So if you look at basic fit, the average length of stay is 24 months. And for an independent, it's about 12 months. And this goes to the economies of scale and the value proposition that basic fit is able to offer to consumers. So Nick Sleep has coined this concept of economies of scale shared. I think basic fit very much embodies that. They have been able to lower the per unit cost through scale and pass that on to the consumer via low prices, but also via convenience. And the way I think about this is basic fits operating model is go into a market and open via a clustering strategy. And what a clustering strategy essentially is, is going into a market and opening stores at a predetermined order and pace. So you would find a catchment area and you would build gyms such that each gym offers low travel times to consumers. And each consumer is able to benefit from that network. So for basic fit, they're essentially self-cannibalizing by building out stores. It's very much like Domino's, which has a fortressing strategy. Their thesis is if we build out more stores and cannibalize our existing store base, it increases the value proposition to consumers by having shorter delivery times and we'll eventually win market share. And that will make up for the cannibalization of our store base. So basic fit has the same operating model. They want to build out as many stores as possible to win on convenience. Due to their scale, they're able to offer very low prices. So they win on the two dimensions of fitness, which are price and convenience. Definitely want to touch on the convenience factor, but I did want to double click on one of your points about churn. And I'm just trying to get a better understanding. If your average member is there for two years, one, it'd be helpful to know when does basic fit break even on an individual member? What does that look like in terms of number of months? And how do they go about replacing that churn over time? Basic fit has much lower member acquisition costs than the average gym. I think part of that is because basic fit is the tenant of choice for landlords. So when landlords lease out space to basic fit, they actually increase the value of their real estate. Basic fit will drive higher foot traffic, rarely closes its stores, and always pays on time. 
So landlords pick basic fit over any mid-market or independent operator. And this allows basic fit to build clubs in the most attractive locations with the highest visibility. So if you combine that with national advertising, which no other gym chain can afford, and the company's unmatched value proposition, basic fit can ultimately fill their clubs with 3,300 members much faster and at a much lower cost than the average gym. On churn, while the average length of stay is 24 months, I actually think that understates how sticky the relationship truly is between basic fit and its member base. What tends to happen in fitness, which is a natural human behavior, is that people are extremely motivated to begin working out after their New Year's resolution. So around January, those members will then slowly lose that motivation over the course of the year. And that cycle repeats itself over and over. So while there is churn in fitness and across basic fits member base, the average time spent working out for an individual is consistent from year to year and actually grows over time. So what happens is that members leave once they lose motivation, but come back the following January. And basic fit doesn't need to spend any marketing dollars to reacquire those members. They love the basic fit experience and come back. And going back to the two dimensions of low-cost fitness, which are price and convenience, there is no other gym operator that can offer high-quality gym equipment in a spacious environment with multi-location access and a deep library of mobile fitness content for 20 euros a month. So members come back to basic fit, and basic fit eventually looks like an infrastructure asset that tolls fitness. And while we're on the churn point, I think for better or worse, Planet Fitness is well known for its challenging cancellation of a membership. Is it a similar policy here? And do they use similar tactics? And while it seems very small in nature, I think when it's a matter of months to break even for any particular member, it can actually have a massive impact on the economics. So I'd just be curious on that. There is no cancellation fee if you're a member of Basic Fit. So you could join for a month and then leave. Typically, members join and don't leave because the membership actually is tied to the household. You know, if you're a working father and you have two teenagers at home, your teenagers benefit from your Basic Fit membership. So that helps churn tremendously for 20 euros a month. Whether you go there or not, you want your kids or your significant other to have the option to go to the gym. So the cancellation policy is very lax and people don't tend to churn because people in their household benefit from it. That is very valuable because when you feel like you need a workout, you don't want to have the friction of going on the website or showing up the gym and talking to someone to have a membership set up. Yeah, I think there's the psychological impact of not going to the gym, which is one thing. And then there's the psychological impact of canceling your gym membership, which is a whole nother level of defeat as well, which plays into things. And I'm always fascinated to see how psychology plays into any of these businesses. I think it's a good opportunity to transition to what you were mentioning around the swarming or fortressing strategy. And it's actually really interesting to hear about that approach. 
especially when they're doing this all on the balance sheet. They're not doing this with a franchise model. So maybe you can dive into that a little bit more. How spread out are these gym introductions into a new market? Are they all done at the same time? Is there some one month, six months, 12 months in terms of spread? And maybe a little bit more in terms of that philosophy, because on the one hand, I can understand you want to capture. And if you're offering convenience, that's a great way to do it. But on the other hand, it's very capital intensive. And until you have one store, one gym proven out, it's a very risky strategy with all the capital involved. Clustering is really simple. It's just the process of entering a local market with a large number of stores designed to immediately build up high density. So if you're going into a new market, you're essentially building out the network with three or four locations right away. And then you build more from there at a predetermined order and pace. So the value proposition is great day one, but as you build out density and more and more members join, the value proposition becomes better because you're building out more locations and you're reducing the travel times for the average member. There are really two advantages of clustering. The first one is obvious. It's to provide that convenience to the consumer. They want to ensure that travel times are short and that people benefit from the network. And the second one is from a competition point of view. They're essentially ring fencing their markets. So by winning on convenience and having a large store network at the local level and offering multi-location access, if a challenger wanted to come in and compete with Basic Fit, they would need to build out the infrastructure, so to speak, ahead of demand formation. And that's very, very difficult because you need to acquire enough members to build those locations profitably. So what tends to happen is no one comes into a market that Basic Fit controls after that density is built out. So if you look at Bordeaux, which is a great example of how powerful the Basic Fit model is, Basic Fit has 13 gyms. If you look at the average gym, which has 3,300 members, you multiply that by the amount of gyms they have in Bordeaux, that would equal about 43,000 members in the Bordeaux area. There's about 300 thousand residents in total in the greater Bordeaux area. So if you pencil out 20% penetration, that would mean that Basic Fit has 70% member share. And it makes sense and lines up with what Planet Fitness has accomplished in the US where their legacy markets, they have upwards of 90% member share. And they take an even larger percentage of profit pool in that market. So I think Basic Fit looks more over time like a monopolistic infrastructure asset like cable, it makes little sense for anyone to build out the infrastructure ahead of the demand formation. And it also makes it hard for those locations to be profitable if there is another scaled player competing with you. Yeah, gyms are a fascinating space. I think I mentioned this on one of our prep calls. Next to restaurants, it tends to be a vanity play where it's not necessarily rational to open up a new gym, but when people get money, it is one of the things they look to do. I'd be curious, when they are opening in new markets, would you say the majority of those markets are suburban, rural, or are they in more urban areas? Is there much data to support 
the theme on members using multiple gyms. I'd be curious to know if the company releases any of that. The company released some of this information at the IPO. I think at the time, they had about 350 locations and 25% of their members used more than one location. I think in 2019, that number is a lot higher because clusters are more dense. You have a lot more locations. My sense of things is that people leverage that network more and more every year. So there are two real benefits I see from having an owned and operated model as opposed to having a franchise model. The first one is having a better customer experience. So it helps improve innovation if you're controlling the store base and able to refresh equipment when you want and layer on services when you want, as opposed to having a franchisee that needs to lay out the CapEx to modernize the equipment. And from an economies of scale shared perspective, basic fit by owning the stores is incentivized to lower the cost structure, retaining those cost savings or returning them back to the customer via lower prices. And this goes back to innovation. Basic fit today is testing whether it makes sense to have one or two full-time employees as opposed to two and a half by installing smart cameras that would be able to detect whether there is someone that is motionless or is not breathing. So 50 locations today are running with just one full-time employee because they have the technology that allows them to monitor their stores without having anyone there. They could earn 65% margins at those locations, still earn 50, but return 15 points back to the consumer via low prices. So if you look at the Planet model, Planet Fitness generates its franchise fees or makes the vast majority of its profits by clipping a fee on the revenues of its franchise base. It also earns about 25% of its EBITDA on new store builds. So Planet forces their franchisees to buy their Planet-labeled equipment, and there is a markup on that, which is extremely lucrative to the Planet Fitness franchisor. They're essentially incentivized to build out more units, and they're not really incentivized to lowering the cost structure. They want to make sure that their units are profitable, obviously, and that they're healthy so that they can continue earning income. Basic Fit is more aligned with lowering the cost structure, which is very important with this idea of the economy's a scaled share model, because as they innovate, they can either retain those cost savings or pass it back to the consumer. So that's the operator's perspective. I think from an investor's perspective, today the business is still funding earning 35% return on invested capital. There's no real reason for them to give away those economics. They're still very attractive and it ties in with their clustering strategy. They want to build out at a predetermined order and pace. And it's very difficult to do that when you're dealing with hundreds, if not a thousand franchisees. So it is a benefit to the owned and operated model. And as they go about that build out, I think you referenced before, they're twice the size of the next biggest competitor. 
Maybe you can give us a little bit more of a sense of the competitive landscape. Who do they compete with? I assume they are not the only ones that read about the Planet Fitness success story in the US. So are others also trying to implement this strategy? It seems like something that's an obvious opportunity to go after. And I'd be curious who else might be doing that. There are a few players. There's a public company called Gym Group, which is doing it in the UK. They're competing head-to-head with Pure Gym, which is the number two player. The difference between Basic Fit and those players is that they're very much subscale. I think the Gym Group today, we are opening more locations than the total amount of gyms that Gym Group has today. So it is very, very small. The returns that they're earning on their stores is lower than Basic Fit. To tie back to this idea of building out an infrastructure and having it being a toll on fitness, this was recognized by the UK regulatory body, which stopped the merger of Pure Gym and Gym Group, which would create sort of a behemoth in low-cost fitness. People understand that at scale, these businesses are monopolistic. It's winner take all. So if you look at the Netherlands and Belgium, which are basic fits older markets, in some areas like Amsterdam, they have 80% member share and they're still rolling out locations. So they're not really competing with anyone other than mid-market gyms, which lose on both price and convenience. And they're also competing with Netflix or Burger King and McDonald's because half their members at their new stores are people that are joining the gym for the first time. And if people decide not to join the gym because they're comfortable with how they look like or they're not really incentivized to work out, that is a competitor that is invisible that is there. It's interesting, the competitive dynamics that seem to take place at a local level also seem to take place at the national level. You don't see the U.S. players competing abroad. It sounds like Basic Fit's biggest competitor is mostly focused on the U.K. And Basic Fit obviously has countries that they control. What do you think drives that localization or country localization? And in terms of the runway from Basic Fit, is it growth mostly coming in the countries that they're already operating in today, or are they expanding internationally? Well, it's a very local business, as you said. You're dealing with you know, local landlords. Basic Fit also provides access to its mobile app and its vast content library for at-home workouts. All their content is catered to the local language and local culture. So in Spain, for example, people are more attracted to the idea of working out in a class environment. So you have more live classes in Spain. There's an important local aspect to low-cost fitness. Planet actually tried to buy the gym group a few years ago. They eventually abandoned that. But it is very difficult to enter a new market. So if you look at Basic Fit, what they've done, they started in the Netherlands and the countries which they later entered were just natural extensions of their previous markets. So they just hopped over the border and entered cities that were closest to the Netherlands when they were first operating in the Netherlands and so on and so forth. I think today you have Basic Fit, which really dominates the Netherlands, Belgium, Luxembourg, France, and Spain. 
and they're really running away with the opportunity. They're at about a thousand locations today. If you look at their existing markets today, their stores only cover about half the population of the total of their existing markets. So there is one way to expand in today's markets. I think the company has laid out a plan to reach 2,000 units by 2025. That is entirely by growing units in their existing markets. So there is definitely runway. I think there is natural expansion opportunities in new markets like Germany, Poland, and Portugal, and Austria, which they will later enter from 2025 to 2031. They actually mentioned that we'll be entering one new market in Q4 of 2022. So they haven't disclosed it yet, but I would assume it's a country that is close to their existing market. So it wouldn't be the Nordics. It would probably be either Portugal or Germany. And you mentioned Basic Fit's digital offering that they provide. It brings up another point or another question on competition, which is the Pelotons and the at-home fitness market. What has that looked like in Europe? And has that had any impact on Basic Fit's business yet? And do you think it's something that's a credible risk to it over time? You haven't seen it yet in Basic Fit's markets. I think it goes back to the industry bifurcation. Half of Basic Fit's members were not members of a gym previously because they were very sensitive to price. So those members are not willing to spend a few thousand dollars on fitness equipment. And if you think back at what a gym really is, it's essentially just an on-premise fitness equipment rental business. So it doesn't make sense for anyone to build out this gym experience at home. It would cost them five or $6,000 to have the weights and the cardio equipment set up in their home. So paying $20 a month to have access to all this equipment is a really good value proposition. They're not willing to spend a few thousand dollars to have a Peloton or a mirror at home. They want to be able to go to the gym for very cheap. I really believe that Peloton goes after the premium segment, which is the Equinox and Soul Cycles and Orange Theories of the world. And Basic Fits members, they benefit from Basic Fits scale. So if we go back to this idea of economies of scale shared, Basic Fit has been able to leverage its size to build out an interesting and very vast library of fitness content, which consumers can consume at home or in the office. And it's local meaning every market has its own content. They have actually a studio in each one of their countries which produces this content on a daily basis. And people get this for free with their membership. They're also building out a bike business. So they're actually leveraging the content that they have within their mobile app, expanding it and offering it to consumers with a bike. And they're essentially using their stores as distribution centers They created this partnership with Matrix, which is producing the bike. They're not deploying any capital towards this other than producing the content. And they've arranged financing with banks for consumers. So if you want to buy a bike at BasicFit, which is releasing very soon, 
you could pay on a monthly basis and also benefit from a four-year membership. The bike is roughly 2,000 euro and comes with the content and a physical store membership. So it's a great value proposition. And it goes back to this idea of being a paranoid entrepreneur. Rene saw the evolution of the mid-market gym and how it's got bifurcated into premium and low cost and the subsequent death of the mid-market gym. And he is following the customer and the trends he sees in the market and wants to offer the gym experience, whether the consumer wants to have it in store and at home. So the short answer is I don't believe that Peloton and Basic Fit compete with each other. And I think that if anything, Basic Fit is innovating and creating their own product, which is sort of a free call option for investors and a good benefit for their consumers, which want to consume workouts at home and want to have bikes that are branded Basic Fit because they're cheaper and the content is great. And they want to attach that to a physical gym membership. Yeah, the omni-channel strategy certainly seems like one that falls in line with their focus on convenience. You've referenced Renee's moves and motives a few times here. One of the things that I always think about as a measuring test for management teams is when they face a crisis and how it's handled and how they navigate through that. And I would consider COVID probably one of the worst crises a gym business could possibly face, especially one that's going through a rapid expansion. So maybe you can just touch a little bit on how they navigated COVID, where they stand today relative to where they were then, and anything that's changed in terms of the business as a result of COVID. Well, the benefit of having a fixed cost business is that the incremental gym member at basic fit locations flows through at 100% gross margin. But on the flip side, each member that you lose comes in at a 100% decremental margin. So you could go from being highly profitable to burning lots of cash very quickly. And Basic Fit's essentially been closed for a year and a half now. So they had to raise both debt and equity capital throughout COVID. And this is the benefit of being a public company. So they were able to tap into the capital markets pretty easily. Of the 62,000 gyms in Europe. Obviously, the vast majority of them don't have access to this type of financing and had to reach in their own personal pockets to fund the business or rely on government grants and government help. They've been able to continue the rollout of stores. They paused for a little because of uncertainty with COVID. But over the last year, they've been adding more and more locations and creating better convenience for when gym goers decide to come back and want to experience a workout with other people. We touched a little bit on risks in terms of competition, both on the physical and digital side of things. But if you were to just give us your thoughts on the biggest threats to this business over the next five years, what stands out to you as a threat? I think... The bear case would be that basic fit is over earning and that it's earning 50% margins and anyone could come in and earn a 20% margin and offer a lower price and steal share. I think what people are missing is that 50% margin isn't available to two players and that actually making 
profit in this business isn't available to two players. And that's a function of basic fits clustering strategy. What I would focus on is consumer behavior. I think it's slow to change, but obviously omni-channel is something that basic fit should be focusing on because I think with COVID, a lot of people realize that they enjoy working out at home. And also a lot of people realize they don't enjoy working out at home, but you have to cater to both of those people be able to offer both an at-home workout experience and a physical store workout experience. There's also this idea that people over time work out less because they don't need to. They're working on Zoom and don't need to present themselves and the world's moving to the metaverse, which is a possibility, of course. But that is something that one should pay attention to is whether there is a permanent change in behavior that would impair basic its ability to continue growing its store count and grow its members per store. All right, John, as we wrap things up, the last question we always like to ask is about lessons for investors, operators, whoever it may be. What have been the main lessons that you've taken away as you've dove into this fitness industry, into basic fit? What have been the big takeaways for you? I was initially highly skeptical of the basic fit model. I thought it was a commodity business that was over-earning. And when I drilled down on the business on a per-market basis, it was very obvious that it was winner-take-all. And I think I was part of the people that had this sort of residual hangover from the 2000s when Bally's and Town Sports and a multitude of other mid-market gyms went bankrupt. So I sort of discounted this business early on, which was a mistake. It took me a lot of time to really get a grasp of how powerful it is. And I think one other lesson that I recognize from my time studying basic fit is that it's really powerful when a business can lower price. I think investors put too much emphasis on the ability of a business to raise prices and undervalue businesses that can lower prices. It's a really important lesson for me. This has been fantastic. It's going to be fun to watch where the basic fit story goes from here. There's so many interesting dynamics in terms of using a playbook from across the pond, very interesting management team and CEO, and a story that makes a lot of sense when it's laid out via numbers. So I'll be interested to watch it. Thanks for joining us on Business Breakdowns. Thank you for having me. To find more episodes of Breakdowns ranging from Costco to Visa to Moderna, or to sign up for our weekly summary, check out joincolossus.com. That's J-O-I-N-C-O-L-O-S-S-U-S dot com. 